do a little bit of a review from last week just because I was really excited to just see how much this story builds on the story from last week. Now, um, for those that weren't here, we were in Mark chapter 10 last week. We were looking at the, the rich young ruler. And so for those that weren't here, basically Jesus is on his way to set out to go to Jerusalem. And, and this is where he's going to go to Jerusalem, be arrested, be tried, and then um, be crucified. And so this story that we're looking at today is in the middle of that journey. So as he was setting out, as we talked about last week, this the rich young man runs up to him, and he kneels down, and he says, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, you know, kind of starts with kind of questioning his idea of good, and then he leads into, well, you know, the commandments, like, you know, do all these commandments. And he names the, the second half of the kind of the Ten Commandments that have everything to do with human interaction. And this guy goes, you know, all of these I have done. I've done them all from my youth. And Jesus then goes, well, there's this one thing that you're missing. And if, you're, if you were here, we, were, we kind of talked about how he had this, this thing that he was trusting. And for him, it was his riches. And it was his position. And it was his status. And Jesus said, sell everything that you have and go come back and follow me. Give it to the poor and follow me. And it says that he went away sad because he was extremely wealthy. And we talked about it wasn't about money. It was just the idea that wealth really was the idea that he didn't need anything. He didn't understand how deep his need was. And the disciples were blown away because they were like, well, if, if this example of what we're trying to aspire isn't saved, like, what chance do we have? They actually said that. Well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, what is impossible with God or with, with man is, is possible with God. And so we're going to kind of keep touching on that today just because I think it's so impactful to see how these build on each other. That Luke, of all the authors, Luke was unbelievably intentional in everything. Well, they all were because the Holy Spirit was at work. But, but Luke was, he was a, a doctor. He was commissioned to do this. And he was very intentional in how he laid out the story. And I absolutely love because ultimately what we're trying to do is we're trying to see Jesus more. Because we believe the more we see Jesus, the more it's going to impact who we are. And so... With that, let me just uh, pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, we thank you that you're good. God, I thank you that you're a personal God, as we're going to say today, that you desire just to be with us. And as we have gathered this morning to know you more, we ask, Spirit, that you will speak, that you'll show uh, us more of you, that you'll um, just touch our hearts, that we might want to respond in, in holistic worship, God, not just in song, but just with our lives more. God, show us the areas that maybe we're not trusting you or not believing something about you to be true, lies that we might be believing instead. Um, ultimately, God, we want to know you more. We want you to change us and make us more like your son. And so as we see more of Jesus, we ask, God, that you would do that and accomplish that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... Like I mentioned, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, okay? He is passing through Jericho. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at the uh, Samaritan woman, and it said Jesus had to go through Samaria. That was the quickest route. But the 
cultural aspect is that the Jews would go around Samaria. And in this case, Jesus is coming back down on the east side of the Jordan. He is avoiding Samaria. And so in order to come into Judea and come into Jerusalem, you'd have to pass over the, uh, the, the, the uh, Jordan River. And the first city you'd come to is Jericho, sort of like what Joshua did, remember? Went through there and came to Jericho. And so Jericho was a big city. Um, in fact, the city that is, was currently there that Jesus is going through was the modern-day Jericho. Um, it was an oasis. It was known for its palm uh, trees, um, had, a, had a, a spring there, kind of a lot of commerce because it was coming in from the east. The old Jericho, the one that Jer- Joshua destroyed, it was kind of in ruins. And so if you were to read these stories, especially um, the, the blind man that we're going to look at, which his name's Barnabas, we learned that from another gospel, you'll see that there's, he was either coming in the city or going out of the city, but anyway, it's basically there's two cities in one. So Jesus is coming into this space, and he's coming out of there, and he encounters two different men, and we're going to look at both of them today. These stories very much are joined at the hip. And so he's going to come through, and these guys we're going to see they're both blind in some way or the other. And so Luke chapter 18, verse 35, I'm just going to touch on it again. It says he comes into the city, and there's this commotion taking place, and it's almost like there's a parade that's happening. People are lined up. And he enters in as he drew near Jericho. A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing the crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And so the whole city's lined up for Jesus. This guy's begging. He's blind. We find out from one of the other gospels, his name's Bartimaeus. And I really love this guy because he's, he's extreme, like he wasn't going to take no for an answer. And so he would have been poor right? Obviously a beggar. And it's important, and if we're going to contrast last week, if you were here, we talked about how in that culture, being rich and being successful was a sign that God was blessing you. It was a sign that you were being favored by God. Someone would have probably said something along the lines like, they must be doing something right, because look how God has blessed them. Well, on the flip side of this, if you were poor or even disabled, it was seen the opposite. In fact, there's a story in John that we'll get to eventually down the road, but there was a blind man sitting out begging, and the disciples asked Jesus, they said, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he was born blind? Their whole idea was something, that this happened to you because there's something wrong with you. You're, you're actually under God's punishment. And so with that, they still pitied him. He was a beggar. He still was somebody that was dependent on other people for his income, but it was more like he wasn't valued. He didn't have dignity or worth in this society. He was insignificant. And so as this commotion's taken place, he hears it all, right? Having that keen hearing. And he asked what's going on. And they said to him, Jesus of Nazareth is about to pass by. And so I love even that terminology, pass by. Like, this is his moment. His moment is passing by. He must have heard about Jesus. He must have known who he was because what does he scream out? He doesn't scream out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David referring to the fact that the son of David would one day come and be the conquering king, the Messiah, the savior of the world, the one that would make all things right, where there'd be no more pain, no more suffering. That's his expectation. He was saying, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the savior. He had a different understanding of Jesus already. And he starts screaming this out. And the people 
tell him to stop. They rebuke him, tell him to be silent. Which is interesting because there's like social cues, I guess. Every culture has it. You know, you're not supposed to do that. That's not how you're supposed to behave. You're just supposed to sit here and watch him walk by. That's, that's what's proper. But he wouldn't, he wouldn't stay in that space. And so he starts yelling even more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I love that, and this is part of why it's titled When Jesus Stops. It says that Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought. Jesus was on his way to the most important part of his mission. He was on his way to die. He had to pass through this space. He was passing through. The text over and over again says he's passing through. He was not intending to stop. And in the midst of this crowd that's lined up to see Jesus, these people from all different walks of life, it was the cry out of a blind beggar named Barnabas. I mean, Luke doesn't even mention his name. That's how insignificant he was. This blind beggar calls out, and Jesus stopped what he was doing. He stopped. He took a break from his plan, and he said, okay, have him come in. And then Jesus says something so profound. I, I feel like it's, you know, Jesus, we're always brought with questions that God already knows the answer to, right? And he says to this blind beggar, right? He's a beggar because he can't work because he's blind. Well, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? It's almost like, I remember the, the man at the pool of, uh, of Bethesda, he's like, um, do you want me to make you well? Like, yeah, right? And he says, Lord, catch that, Lord, not Jesus, Lord, let me recover my sight, which implies that this guy was able to see it one time before this. Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus says to him, done, your faith has made you well. Not the faith in the miracle, but he had already, we see through this guy's actions, he already has placed his faith in Jesus. And Jesus, and he believed like, you're the savior of the world, you can do this. That's why I'm making a fool of myself. Jesus heals him. And look at his response. It's the, it is the only response, really, that we see. He says that he, he followed him, praising God. He was already his Lord, and now he's already believing him as Messiah, but now he's experiencing this interaction with Jesus, and it had a profound effect on him. This, this whole thing is a contrast really to the rich young ruler, right? Where the rich young ruler said, what must I do? Jesus asked him, well, what do you want me to do? It's coming from a different posture. The blind man knew his need. And I love this, where the rich young ruler, Jesus said, sell everything you have and follow me. He invited him into this life. This man did not need to be asked because his heart was changed, and he responded with following It was a response. It was worship. His worship changed. And the people watched, praise God. So as this is going on, Jesus continues on his walk, and we find out about Zacchaeus. And so he entered Jericho and was passing through. Again, it says it there. There was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see Jesus. But on account of the crowds, he could not because he was of small stature. And so he ran ahead, climbed up a sycamore tree to see him 
for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. We'll stop right there. Okay, so we have another rich ruler, right? Where the rich young ruler was somebody that was favored in his culture. He was somebody that was, was admired. That's why the disciples responded in disbelief, like, who can be saved? This guy can't. This guy was a chief tax collector. He was very powerful, very wealthy, very despised. And many of you already may know this, but I just, you might want to just talk through it again, is that tax collectors were despised because they were hired by Rome to tax their own people. They were considered traitors. They were considered the enemy. They were people that um, stole. And we know that Zac- by his own Zacchaeus' own admission, he defrauded people and became extremely wealthy of it, and he was so good at it that they made him a chief. He was like the regional manager of tax collectors for Jericho and its surrounding regions, right? So he was really, really good at taking people's money. And so I'm guessing, and we can probably see here, he wasn't very popular, so he's trying to see who Jesus, he knows he's coming, he's trying to see, and the people are like, you ain't passing. And he said he was of small stature. So like when the Bible says anything, typically... It's like, if it has to say he's short, like he was probably really short, like probably under five feet tall short, right? For a grown man. And so he's not even able to see over the crowd, and there's no way they were going to be like, oh, yeah, Zacchaeus, sure, have a front row seat. Like, come to the front or the children. Like, he wasn't, that wasn't going to happen, right? So he's sitting there, and, and he runs, he runs up. Running was undignified for an adult. You didn't do it. You didn't do it if you're a leader. You didn't do it if you're a tax collector. You didn't do it. And he climbs a tree. And I love the language. It's almost like this childlike activity that's taking place. We're running, we're climbing trees to see Jesus. This childlike faith, which is really being cultivated at a very small level. It's already starting, right? And so he runs up, he climbs this tree, undignified, facing more ridicule than he probably already does. And it says that and Jesus was about to pass by, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I'm sure when he was hiding in this tree, the sycamore tree would have been pretty big. It would have really leafy, big leaves on it. It was, you could have probably hidden in it. And Jesus comes to this space where this man is at, this despised, hated person. And he stops again. And he looks up. And the first words out of his mouth is Zacchaeus. Do you know how long it probably was that this man heard his name in this city? He was probably called a lot of things, but not Zacchaeus. He stops and he looks at him. This man had no idea, as he was seeking to see Jesus, he found out in that moment that Jesus was seeking to see him, and he saw him, and he knew his name, and he called out to him in a very dignified way, Zacchaeus, come down, I must stay at your house today. Talk about a detour, right? It's not just he's having a conversation. He's like, no, I must dwell in your home today. 
He hurried down and he received Jesus with joy. But the people grumbled. They said, why would Jesus go to that person's house? He's a sinner. And this is significant because in this culture, especially, and it still is this way today in Middle Eastern culture, to have somebody in your home is, is unbelievably personal. It's very intimate. And especially back then, when you ate a meal, it wasn't at a table with silverware and you just dish it up and plop it on your plate. Usually, it, was, it took a long time. A meal was like hours, right? And you're on the ground. You're kind of sitting on pillows. And there's a bowl of like the main dish in the middle. And you kind of grab bread and you grab some. And you were eating it with your hand. And this idea that if, if you're a sinner to a Jew, this idea that your defilement was being transferred to somebody else or their defilement is being transferred to you. Because it wasn't just eating, it was the same food that was going into my body and nourishing me and becoming part of me is the same food that's going in you and nourishing you and becoming part of you. We are becoming one through this meal. It was highly, highly intimate. And for a Jew to say, I'm going to make myself one, I'm going to the same food that's nourishing this sinner and their transfer, their filth is coming on me. It was no small thing. And what's crazy is that their understanding of what was going on, they had no idea that Jesus one day was going to do that in probably a week's time. That the filth of this sinner was going to be transferred to Jesus but the filth of the whole world. And, it, and rather than him being defiled by their sin, his righteousness would then be transferred to them. He did take his filth, but he took it permanently. He had to stay with this guy. And as he's walking to his house, it seems like the text infers this idea that he's walking to his house, he stopped. And he says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. He declares, I'm selling my stuff. Which is a stark contrast to the rich young ruler. Jesus said, Okay, you lack this one thing. Sell everything you have and come and follow me. And Jesus, the, the impact of what the Holy Spirit did on this man's heart was so instant as the people were grumbling. He's like, I'm selling it. He didn't sell everything, obviously, but he sold a lot. I mean, I'm getting rid of it. I'm giving it all away. It doesn't matter. He gave everything without being asked. Bartimaeus followed Jesus without being asked. It's because they encountered Jesus in a profound way and it changed their heart. He was saying, I have a new treasure, right? I have Jesus. I have a new friend. He's going to dine with me today. And it radically changed him. And Jesus declares, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those that were lost. Last week, Jesus declared, as the disciples, as he said, it's hard for the, those who are rich to inherit the kingdom of heaven. He said, in fact, it's 
It's impossible, right? He said you have to, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a wealthy person to in, come into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were like, who can be saved? He says, with man is impossible, with God it is possible. A rich man is saved. We're not even a page down the story. We're at the beginning of the story, declares this truth, and we see the impossible has happened. God made, he's, the very person he said is impossible, he saved, essentially he, he saved, right? Jesus did the work. Where the rich young ruler was trying to figure out what he had to do, we see that ultimately it was what God was already doing. And, he, and rather than, like the rich young ruler being reject, rejecting Jesus with sadness, going away sad, we see that this man received Jesus with joy. And so, why does this all matter? I mean, I'm sure your brain's been making connections. And, and I, one of the things I just love is a lot of these similarities. Both of these guys couldn't see Jesus. One was physically blind. One was blind because of backsides in front of them, right? Both wanted to see Jesus. Both went against social norms, becoming almost undignified to see him. Both had their eyes open. Both called Jesus Lord. Both responded with worship and devotion. And they both responded in opposite ways than the rich young ruler. But for us, I think it's important is that both of these men wanted to see Jesus. For different reasons, they weren't content with just observing Jesus passing by. They wanted to see him. They wanted to interact with him. They wanted to know him. And that's something that I have to ask myself sometimes. Often, it's easy to get caught up in activity. It's easy to be excited, at least for me, to see, man, God is doing some, like, Jesus is passing by, right? He's doing some stuff, and, and it's like, I got all this other things. Or it's easy to get sidetracked, or not sidetracked. I, I got to do this, I got to do this. And this idea that Jesus stopped in this space and waited to interact with the reject, the outcast, the despised, right? I think, but even more that I, I just find so powerful in this text is that Jesus is the only one that can change somebody. The Holy Spirit changes the heart. It is when they come and they, people, we encounter Jesus, we are changed. That is our mantra at Christ Community, is that if we make much of Jesus, People are going to be confronted with either I want that or I don't. And the Holy Spirit's the only one that can change a heart. And as those that are following, Je following Jesus, we need to be changed more and more into the likeness of Christ. And I love in 1 John, it says, Beloved, we're not children of God now, but what we will be is not yet revealed, right? We're caught between the already and the not yet. He goes, but this we know, when he appears, we'll be made like him because we will see him as he is. Right? And so you have this idea that the more I see Jesus, the more I'm made like him. And one day, I'm going to see him fully, and I'm going to be fully changed. That is the life of a believer, is seeing Jesus more and more. And if he's a jewel, like this idea that sometimes we can focus on one thing that's beautiful, but he's so vast and he's so great, it's going to take a lifetime to understand his glory. And the rest of that verse is that, it said, he who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. The purifying effect, what makes us more like Jesus, isn't us muscling up and trying. It's hoping 
in what God is going to do. It's hope in that one day I'm going to be made more like Jesus because one day I'm going to see him. It's hoping in seeing Jesus purifies us. It changes us. These men saw Jesus, and it changed them. And they had no other response than to worship, no other response than to follow, than to sell their things. The other thing that stood out to me is that the crowd was in the way. Very rarely is the crowd moving with Jesus, even in the church. The crowd was in the way. The crowd was keeping these men from seeing Jesus. They were content to observe him walk by and say, that was really cool. I saw him. You see him? I saw him. It was awesome. God help us to never be the crowd. It's not, and, and a lot of times not being the crowd is undignified, and it isn't socially acceptable, and it isn't glorious. You're in a tree fumbling through, right? But the crowd was the one that were preventing them. They had no interest in joining him, no interest in working with him or walking with him. The other thing, and I mentioned it already, is this idea of Jesus stopped. He was going, he was passing through, he stopped twice, and he did it for people that weren't considered worthy or deserving of his attention. And I think for us, that's God's posture towards us. Like, sometimes I think it's easy to kind of either we get busy or we feel like maybe there's something that God doesn't want that, but he, he stops with us. I think on the, for us practically, sometimes it can be like us stopping for the unworthy or the unrighteous or the person that we may not consider. It's stopping. But Jesus, I think just even as we're going to kind of transition to some time of reflection, is that Jesus is stopping even right now. And his, his heart for us is the same. And I think that as we kind of move into the time of music and responding through worship, like, Jesus is, is he's about to pass by. Like, he's passing by. And he's stopping. And so if, if maybe you're in the space of, like, Bartimaeus, like, what's the cry of your heart? What are you screaming out? I can't let you pass by right now. This thing is eating me up. Or maybe it's like Zacchaeus and his, his stopping is simply like, I must be with you right now. Dine with me. Right? Wherever the case is, like God's heart is, his, he is present. He is present. 